like that. You want to try that. Hello, everyone. Welcome to this like very exciting back. edition of the Logan Blackman Show. Oh, my goodness. But before we get into today's show, make sure you follow the Logan Blackman Show on every single form of social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, and, of course, Apple Podcasts and Spotify. You can find me on Twitter at Logan underscore Blackman. Instagram account is, Log- uh, is Blackman Logan. The show's Instagram account is The Logan Blackman Show 1. Facebook and YouTube, search Logan Blackman Show. Make sure to subscribe, follow, like, whatever. Click on some blog posts. We'll have a blog post up for you today with our t- our week 10. Jeez, it's, been, it's crazy how fast it's all going. Our week 10 quarterback prospect rankings. We had a video ready for you, but then I was editing it. I was like, I don't want this to go out. I don't want this to go out. I don't want this to go out. And we'll get to what the video was about here in a little bit. But, of course, the main thing is to make sure you're following and or subscribe to the Apple Podcast and Spotify accounts. If you're listening to the show right now and you don't know if you are, just make sure you check and leave a rating out of five stars on both. Leave a description down below on why you feel the way you do. Good, bad, ugly, whatever it is, just let me know how you're feeling. Like a lot of people on social media are letting Greg Berhalter know how they feel about the 2022 United States Men's National Team World Cup team. Now, first off, let's just give a quick round of applause to the people that were selected for the 2022 World Cup squad. It is the United States' average age of the squad is 25 years old. 25. Three players on this team are within the range of the top, what was it, top five youngest players to ever appear for the United States in the World Cup ever. Ever. I think they were in the top five. I could be wrong about that. But this squad, I don't really have a general disdain for. But there's some interesting things that took place while we were watching the the, the pre- presentation of the squad that made me kind of scratch my head a little bit. Sometimes, like, I was freaking out at times. And that was what the video was going to be about. I had a video recorded of me watching the live, pre- live presentation of the United States World Cup squad. And as we were filming it, I was sitting there, and I was like, man, I'm talking super fast. Because I started recording a little late, and that's my bad. That's my bad. I, I am well under. I am well aware that it was my bad to start recording late. But I recorded it a little bit after, right before four, and I was trying to get through my dissertation at the beginning, like you do with most videos, before you get into the actual meat and potatoes, what you want to talk about. And I cut that too long, and so when they started introducing, and I didn't have the sound on because I was recording. So when they started introducing the goalkeepers, I was just getting to the defense when I was talking about my projected World Cup squad. And then they released the goalkeepers. So I was like, oh, so I've got to try and get everything in, try to discuss the goalkeepers, and try to make it all fit. And then the commercial breaks were a thing that happened, and then I had a random pause in the stream as well. So it was just a a weird video to try and edit, and ultimately I watched it back and I was like, yeah, I don't really want it. I don't really want, because in videos, it's a little different. When I, like, I have a few friends that host podcasts, which you can go find them on Spotify. You can go to Dip Lips. You can follow Let's Dish as well. Like, you can go and subscribe to those podcasts, but as I try to tell them, I'm not not saying that I'm an expert or anything, or I'm a professional at doing this or anything by any means, but I've been doing it since my freshman year of college, and I remember hearing this a while ago, and it was kind of just like, take your L's. Take your L's, and in a podcast, you can do that. You can take your L's in a podcast and just move on. There's no video required for it. You can edit audio, but if you're editing video and you just look like you're not into it, it makes it a little bit hard to upload. Or if a video like that, where I'm just talking way too damn fast, and I know I get like that some portions on the Logan Blackman show on the podcast, but when you're editing a video trying to make sure all that links up with the mic and the video, it, it just doesn't really work out. 
And we had a screen grab of the of the broadcast, which might have gotten me some legal trouble as well for le- maybe, maybe, there's no footage of it, so maybe I screen, I screen grabbed ESPN while I was watching it, just so I could have something on there. So, all of that avoided. All of that avoided. There were some insane inclusions, some insane exiles, I guess, from the squad. And we'll start it off with the goalie. So the United States men's national team squad. Well, actually, let's go over my projected squad again. We released it on Tuesday, November, what was Tuesday? November 8th. And the squad that I had read out as follows, the goalkeepers, we had Turner, uh, Sean Johnson, and Zach Steffen. But we knew about Zach Steffen not making the World Cup right after I recorded Wednesday's episode. Because there was that little bit of a beginning at the beginning of Wednesday's, that little bit of a an intro at the beginning of Wednesday's, Wednesday's episode where I saw the tweet about Stefan possibly not being in the squad and that kind of ruined everything that I talked about throughout the rest of the, the podcast about Zach Stefan. We'll get to that in a little bit, though. Defense, we had uh, right backs. We had four of them with one playing left back, and Dest can also play left back, too. We had Dest, Cannon, Yedlin, and Joe Scaly. Scaly and, Ye- and Dest can both play left back, so I think that's a fair expectation for both of them. So why you didn't bring another left back or why you only brought four right, why you brought four right backs and one left back I can understand why on face value it seems like that, but really we have a few other options that can play left back. And then obviously Anthony Robinson's the left back there. Center backs, we had Walker Zimmerman, Aaron Long, Tim Ream, and Cameron Carter-Vickers. Defensive midfield, we had Tyler Adams and Kellen Acosta. Midfield, we had Luca De La Torre slash Christian Roldan because I wasn't sure about uh, Luca De La Torre's health and his hamstring. Then we had Weston McKinney, we had Jonas Musa, and Malik Tillman. And then the forward spots at right wing, we had Giovanni Reina and Tim Weah. Strikers, we had Ferreira, Pepe, and Sargent. And then left wingers, we had Aronson, Morris, and of course, Christian Pulisic, who's going to be the spearhead for this team. I don't know if he's going to be the captain right away in the first game. I think it's between him and Tyler Adams. I think Walker Zimmerman will probably... Walker Zimmerman will probably captain the team at some point, probably captain them in the last game against Iran. If I had to make guesses on when the United States, who's going to be the captain for each game, I would imagine Zimmer, uh, Tyler Adams will be the first game, Pulisic second game, and then Zimmerman third game against Iran. That's how I'm feeling it right now. But let's get into the actual United States men's national team squad. So the first portion there, the goalies, we knew about that going in. Now, I wish they would have say, I wish... This is the problem with social media to a certain extent. You see that with like Adrian Wojnarowski with basketball in the NBA draft. You see it in drafts now where people are tweeting out what happened or what players going to get drafted before the even the picks even made. So it takes out the excitement of the pick. Now you got like, oh maybe he was just saying that. Maybe it's not really true and then it happens like, oh it was true. But I already kind of knew that was going to happen. Like I wish they didn't say I think his name's Roger Gonzalez, I can't remember, but I wish he didn't tweet out that Stefan wasn't going to be a part of the team the day before the squad was going to get announced. I think that would have been absolutely insane to see that. Now, the goalies were Matt Turner, Sean Johnson, and Ethan Horvath. And again, Matt Turner is the guy that the fans have wanted. The fans wanted Matt Turner to start. It was kind of a question whether Burhalter would start Turner ahead of Stefan or not because he's been a pretty, I don't know, a pretty big fan of Zach Steffen ever since he's made his debut. He's been a captain on numerous occasions. You haven't really seen Turner and Steffen in the squad together, so it's kind of like maybe he's going to stick with Steffen. But no. When they asked him last night, they said, or Berhalter said, that the goal or the, the plan is to start Turner as the number one guy for the United States going forward. So Steffen's going to be the number two, it sounds like, from here on out. Which I don't know if Steffen took particularly well because my conspiracy theory is it's kind of like the same situation that we had 
with John Brooks to a certain extent, where if I'm not the starter, I don't want to be a part of the team. I don't know if that's true. That's just me having a conspiracy theory there. But the fact that he's not even on the roster is what tells me about that. That's what I'm leaning towards with that because I don't really see a world of why Stefan would be left off the team. Stefan's not a worse goalie than Horvath or Sean Johnson. So if you're wanting to bring the 26 best players and the three best goalies, you would bring Zach Stefan along unless there's some other things going on behind the scenes, which is what I think happened there. In regards to Horvath and Johnson, Johnson, I feel like, was going to be in the team for his experience. He's 33 years old right now. He's had some really good stints in New York City FC in the MLS. He's been the captain, won MLS Cup, was a... I don't know if he was MLS Finals MVP. I can't remember if he was the Finals MVP or not, or just the MVP throughout the playoffs or something. But Berhalter's like, oh yeah, he's been in and around this team. He was always going to make it. And then Horvath, I think he'll be the option if Matt Turner, God forbid, knock on wood, Matt Turner gets hurt. I think Horvath will be the number two option. Because that was kind of a weird situation that got caught up in. I think Horvath is better than Sean Johnson. I had Horvath in my first squad that we tried to predict. The problem is when Stefan is going and Turner is going, I think having a guy as old as Sean Johnson, as experienced as Sean Johnson, who's been around the United States squad in the past, before this, before Berhalter was there, Sean Johnson had been in and around the United States men's national team squad. So I think that experience and that leadership, and with him being a captain at club level, I think that was big. As a third option, never going to play, never going to play. But if, if Turner got hurt, now that's why Horvath is here. Horvath obviously saved the penalty against Mexico in the Nations League final and has been in and around the squad. Him and Johnson have kind of been in and around the squad with Turner and Stefan, whoever's been not there. Because when Stefan was starting, Turner wasn't really a part of the fray. Turner got his first cap of 2021, January 2021. And then during the Gold Cup, Stefan wasn't there because he had preseason obligations with Man City. So Stefan wasn't even there. So every time... Turner or Stefan have been involved, it's really been without the other one being there, which is just weird to think about, but that's just kind of how it is. And I think Turner is the better goalie. I do think Matt Turner is the better goalie. I'm not sitting here saying I'm shocked that Stefan didn't go because I was expecting him to start. There was part of me that thought he'd start because that's how Burhalter kind of operates, but Turner is the better goalie. So I'm glad that they're moving forward with Turner as a starter, but there has to be something going on behind the scenes with Stefan, and that's why I think the, if I'm not starting, don't bring me camp is kind of being a thing. I don't know if that's true or not. It could be completely wrong, and I'm okay with being that, because I don't want to slight Stefan's character. I don't want to do that. But that's I could see that being a thing. Sorry, take a quick drink there. Now, moving to defense, this is where we had... So, Stefan not being in the squad was kind of ruined the night before, so it wasn't really a big surprise come the squad announcement. But we got our first surprise... Once we move to defense, so there were a lot of no surprises for the defense. We're going to go all over the defense. So we had Dest, we had Yedlin, Scaly, and Robinson. So we had those guys guaranteed. Everybody knew those guys were going, especially with Sam Bynes getting hurt. That pretty much guaranteed Joe Scaly's spot. Center backs, we had Zimmerman, Long, Carter Vickers, and Ream. Ream's form with Fulham this season has been awesome. He's the best ball-playing center back the United States has. He's a former left back, so he doesn't really have the height that you're looking for. In a traditional center back, which can be somewhat of a concern, but I think his chemistry with Anthony Robinson is massive. And I think his ability to play on the left side of a back three is also very big, which allowed Anthony Robinson and Serginio Dest to push further up forward, which I think the United States could use that style of formation against like England. I think that could be a really good option for them. But the surprise of this group 
was Reggie Can not Reggie Cannon not being included. It was Shaq Moore being included. And I was sitting there, I just started laughing. And it wasn't because I was like, oh, he doesn't deserve it. Shaq Moore's played well. Shaq Moore in previous uh, teams for the United States, like in the Gold Cup, Reggie Cannon got hurt. Shaq Moore came in and started applying the pressure because I don't think before the Gold Cup happened that anybody was really sitting there going, oh, Shaq Moore's going to challenge Reggie Cannon for a World Cup spot. I think everybody was kind of of the idea that Reggie Cannon, if healthy, was the third option for the United States at right back. And that's what it seemed like. I think the surprise that came with, with Shaq Moore's inclusion is the fact that he hadn't really been around the squad in a little bit. Reggie Cannon has, I guess, not been in the best form recently. But I think what Reggie Cannon would have provided is a little more defensive coverage, which Shaq Moore doesn't. Shaq Moore is probably, looking at the three, the guys that are going to play right back. Scaly might play right back, but he's, I would, more than likely he's going to play left back. Looking at the three right backs they have, Shaq Moore is probably the most attacking-minded out of the three. Like, Shaq Moore will push up forward. Shaq Moore has a lot of experience playing at the wing spots as well as playing right back. So I like Shaq Moore going. I, I was there in Kansas City when Shaq Moore scored the goal in 20 seconds. Like I was there. I have no I have no disdain for the Shaq Moore inclusion. It was just very surprising. It was very, very surprising, especially since he hadn't been around the team. And people want to use the MLS bias thing as well, but I don't really think that's a thing. Really, I, I you could make an argument for that, I guess. But I'm not going to sit here and go, and the only reason Shaq Moore's in this squad is because he plays in the MLS. I don't think that's a thing. I think Shaq Moore has been playing well this season. Reggie Cannon really hasn't. When you look back at it, Reggie Cannon hasn't played his best soccer recently. So I think that's why Shaq Moore ended up being included, though he hadn't been around the squad. And we'll get to another guy that shocked everybody that we'll get to a little bit. Midfielders, nothing too surprising there. I guess the big surprise that Malik Tillman wasn't there, but I'm not surprised that Roldan and De La Torre were the options there as the backups to Musa and McKinney. I'm not really surprised by that at all. Because we've talked about this with Christian Roldan in the past. Roldan is a guy that you can see out a game with. He has a completely different role in ML and Seattle with Seattle Sounders than he does with the U.S. men's national team. He doesn't really play that often with the United States men's national team. I wouldn't really be surprised if he didn't play a single minute in the World Cup. But what he has is he's very steady, I guess you could say. Very steady player. So you could bring him on to see out a game. He's not going to force anything. Like you saw in the Gold Cup in 2021, he was instrumental in some of those late-game comebacks in the in the knockout stage for the Gold Cup. Like I like Christian Roldan. I would have much rather brought Malik Tillman, but I'm not sitting here and saying that, oh, I'm shocked Roldan made it. No, I'm not. Burhalter's had a nice affinity for Christian Roldan as of late, so I'm not surprised. And De La Torre, with his performances, World Cup qualifying, was always going to make it. It was kind of a situation of it's between Tillman and Roldan in my mind. And then the only reason Roldan would go is if De La Torre couldn't go because Tillman's been balling out for Rangers. Yeah, he's had some shaky performances here and there, but his peak is better than that of Christian Roldan, in my opinion. So I would have brought Malik Tillman, but Musa and McKinney are obviously there. McKinney, or, um, Adams and Acosta are obviously there. Brendan Aronson, this was interesting. I, uh, some people pointed this out on Twitter as well. Aronson was listed as a midfielder. He was listed as a midfielder. I listed him as a left winger because that's normally where he plays for the United States. But are we going to see hypothetically, are we going to see a formation where Brendan Aronson is going to start midfield? Because he's been one of the best American players. Like, if you're looking at the top five American players right now, you'd be pretty hard-pressed to find anybody else that's in that top five or that pushes Aronson outside of the top five. Just on current form, he's been one of the best players for Leeds this season. Under Jesse March, him and Tyler Adams have been balling out this year. And 
Aronson with that kind of form, would you be comfortable with? I know, I know Peralta really likes bringing him off the bench because he prov- provides that little spark off the bench. But would you be comfortable leaving him on the bench for 60-plus minutes and then bringing him on the last last 30? I don't know. I think Aronson maybe has forced himself into a starting, starting spot. And we've seen Burhalter recently, not like insanely recently, but has played Aronson as a number 10, which is his natural position. It's what he's been playing for Leeds. He plays as a number 10 in the right winger. He plays for the left wing for the United States mostly. But could we see him play as a number 10 with McKinney and Adams dropping back a little bit? I mean, Musa gets dropped out of the squad or dropped out of the starting lineup, but could we see that potentially happen? I don't know. And then uh, moving to the forward lines, this is where we had the shock, the biggest shot. I saw this five minutes, maybe five minutes, ten, five, ten minutes before the squad was announced. I saw this on Twitter. It was from Roger Gonzalez again. It was just ruining the excitement for everybody, but it was still crazy that it happened. So the forwards that we had were... Reyna and Weah at right wing. Ferreira and Sargent. Pulisic, Aronson, and Jordan Morris. So no real surprises there. But it was the striker position. Haji Wright is getting put in the squad. And this is, like, one of the most shocking inclusions the United States has ever made for, the United States, for a World Cup roster. And it's not because Haji Wright's a bad player. Haji Wright has been really in good form with Antilaspor over in Turkey. He's been balling out this year. He provides the United States with something a little bit different. He's very physical. He's very fast. So that's a little bit different than what the other strikers the United States have. But Ricardo Pepe, and I think it's kind of funny how this all, how opinions change over the course of like a month or two. Because when Pepe got called up in September, everybody was like, oh, why is Pepe here? Why is Jordan Pifok not there? Like, Josh Sargent has scored, I think at the time, was 6-6 six and six or 8-8 eight and eight or something like that for North City. Ferrero is always going to get called up because he's Greg's guy. But Jordan Pifok be, not being in there, after balling out early on in the season for Union Berlin in the Bundesliga, that was surprised to everybody. But then once Pepe started getting back in form, then it was like, oh, Pepe has to be included in the squad. Like, Pifok and Pepe, it was like, oh, it's got to be Jordan Pifok. It can't, Ricardo Pepe's not going to make the squad. And then now we've started to see Pepe get into form. Pifok has fallen out of form. And then no one really had any idea that Haji Wright was going to be implemented in this squad. If you did, uh, credit to you, because I definitely didn't. I didn't. I sure as hell didn't see this coming. Especially when you look at the one game Haji Wright's played, or one or two games he's played, Berhalter slated him after the games. Like He scored a penalty in the slot fest earlier this year, and it was like, Oh, yeah, he's not going to be on the squad anytime soon. He's done. He's absolutely done. Like, my friend Noah and I, we talk about the United States men's national team quite a bit. That's what all our Twitter DMs are dominated with, just tweets send, sent back and forth from the United States. And Haji Wright just seemed like, oh, yeah, he's not going. And it seems like, and Berhalter said this a couple months ago, that they were choosing between seven strikers for the United States final roster. And it was Ferreira, Pepe, Sargent, Pifok. Vasquez over in the MLS for FC Cincinnati, and then Haji, so six strikers, six strikers, sorry, 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 sorry. But no one really thought Wright or Velasquez or Vasquez would make the squad. It was kind of just like, oh, there's hearsay. He's friends with Christian Pulisic, so this will all be over here in a little bit. Like, it's between Peacock and Pepe for that last striker spot. And as we got closer to the call-up time, it was like, okay, Ricardo Pepe's going to make the team. 
things changed over that, that period of time. Pepe got started catching form, and it was really nice to see because Pepe scored three goals in World Cup qualifying, was instrumental in World Cup qualifying, made a move to Europe as it was the biggest American transfer ever going to Augsburg, went to Groningen to try and get himself in form before the World Cup, and then he doesn't make it. And tweets were like, oh, Pepe's camp is livid that he's not making the World Cup. And yeah, I feel like that's rightfully so. I think a month ago, I don't think, or two months ago, you wouldn't have really been shocked that Pepe didn't make the World Cup squad. But as he's been going on with Groningen since getting called back into the team, he started getting form. I think he had five goals in five games or something like that. Like, he was playing really, really well. And then now he's out of the squad for Haji Wright. And again, it's not saying anything on Haji Wright because Haji Wright has been playing well for Antillaspor. But he hasn't been in the squad. So it's like Shaq Moore thing again. He hasn't just he hasn't been here. I have no real issue with the player. But leaving Pepe out, who was instrumental in World Cup qualifying and has been getting back into form, which is what you needed from him, and now he's not making the squad. And then what made it very interesting, at the end, when he was discussing it, apparently it was between Ferreira and Pepe and Wright and Peefock. So... The, the competition wasn't even between Haji Wright and Ricardo Pepe. It was between Peefock and Wright and Ferreira and Pepe. When was that ever going to be announced? What That came completely out of left field. So Sargent's the number one guy? Because the only guy he didn't say was challenging for a spot was Josh Sargent. That hasn't been consistent with what the team Greg Berhalter's been implementing has been. Ferreira's seemingly been the number one guy pretty unanimously through Greg Berhalter. And now we're sitting here, it was going, oh, Ferreira and Pepe. So if you look at it like that, with Ferreira and Pepe potentially competing for that last spot, Pepe was starting above Ferreira at FC Dallas. And he made the move to Europe. So if he never left, we might be seeing Ricardo Pepe leading the line for the United States instead of Jesus Ferreira. And Jesus Ferreira, that he divides opinions throughout United States men's national team fan bases because of some of the misses he's had this year, some of his XG and him just not being a natural striker. He's only five foot eight. He's not a natural striker. Pepe's a lot bigger than Jesus Ferreira is. So when you find out it's Ferreira versus Pepe, that kind of surprised me because I never expected that to be the battle. I think that's a battle that should have been had, but given the squads Berhalter's come up with, given the starting lineups Berhalter's come up with, I never thought that Ferreira's spot was ever in jeopardy from Berhalter's point of view. And then for Haji Wright, I didn't even know he was in consideration. I know he was in consideration, but I was like, oh, yeah, we'll mention him just so people can start guessing what the other strikers. So we just go, oh, yeah, here's the three strikers we're bringing. I thought it was one of those situations. Like, as we got closer, I think we said it on Monday or Wednesday's show that it was borderline lock that the strikers were going to be Ferreira, Sargent, and Pepe. I thought it was guaranteed to happen. And everybody on Twitter was even like, yeah, it's going to rotate between Pepe and Ferreira as the starters, and then Sargent's going to come off the bench. But now after Berhalter's comments after the squad announcement, it looks like Sargent is the only one that started that was had a guaranteed spot. And I'm happy for Josh Sargent. Josh Sargent was a very highly touted player when he was first coming up and just never could score any goals. Now we've seen him score goals for Norwich. Now he's back in the squad. And I'm happy for him. Haji Wright's been balling out until his sport. So happy for him. Ferrer was the guaranteed starter in my mind, this given context clues. And now his spot was challenged by Pepe. So now we look at the World Cup, and we got the first game against Wales, then England and Iran. When you look at those games, Sargent, I think, from what it just sounds like, is nailed on the start against England. 
I think we're going to have a very English Premier League-centric squad for that England game. Because I think the first game, we'll see something along the lines of Turner, Dest, Zimmerman, Long, Robinson, Adams, McKinney, Musa, Wea, Ferreira, Pulisic. I think that's what the squad were looking like in the first game. Second game, I think we're looking a little bit towards more Turner, Dest, Zimmerman, Ream, Robinson, or Ro- yeah, Robinson, with um, Adams, McKinney, Aronson somewhere in the squad with potentially Giovanni Reina, Sargent, and Pulisic. I mean, we might see a completely different squad just given the familiarity between the players that are, we are playing in the Premier League and looking at England's squad. We'll talk about England's squad in a little bit. But yeah, I really have no issues generally with the squad. I needed a day to kind of sit on it a little bit because as I was sitting there yesterday, I was just too excited because, oh, it's the first United States squad announcement since 2014. I'm just amped. Like I couldn't sit there and just give a firm opinion. I was just so excited. I, did, I just laughed when I saw things that kind of shocked me. Like Haji Wright getting announced, shocked me. Shaq Moore getting announced, shocked me. And then you look at like a lot of people, what a lot of people are really upset about. It's not even really that Haji Wright made it over Ricardo Pepe. It's more of the fact that like Jordan Morris and Christian Roldan made it over Ricardo Pepe and someone like Malik Tillman. Now, when you're looking at Jordan Morris, who's going to be used as a backup left winger, according to what it, se- what it seems like when they announced the squad with, Bur- with uh, Aaron Singer announced as a midfielder, Morris versus Areola was that, that final battle from what it seemed like. Areola is more of a direct winger, but when you have someone like Tim Weah on the squad, you kind of already it's kind of uh, repetitive at that point to bring him on. What you get with Jordan Morris versus Paul Areola, yes, their numbers are fairly similar in regards to what they've done so far with the United States men's national team, but I think what you're getting with Morris is more speed. He's faster than Areola. He's bigger than Areola. He's a, a former striker, so his eye for goal should be a little bit better. So you look at the physical attributes of Morris and Areola, and you're getting something a little bit different with Jordan Morris versus what you're getting with Paul Areola. So that's why he ultimately went with uh, Jordan Morris, though Areola has seemingly been one of, quote-unquote, Greg's guys throughout the entire process. Jordan Morris has battled a lot of injuries. I think that's kept him out of a lot of squads in the past. But, yeah, that was the battle there between Morris and Areola, and ultimately Morris won. But I think a lot of people just wanted to see Pepe instead of Morris and Tillman over over Christian Roldan. And I can't say I disagree with that too wholeheartedly because Pepe was instrumental in the World Cup qualifying stuff, had been into form. Jordan Morris hasn't played in a while, so that was another thing people were a little bit upset about with these MLS guys getting in that haven't played in a little bit. We've seen guys like Pepe and Tillman play and have played well. Tillman's playing in the Champions League or the Europa League with Rangers. So yeah, I I was kind of surprised by Pepe's non-inclusion as to a certain extent, Tillman and Cannon's include disinclusions. Like I don't know what to call it, disinclusion, and then Zach Steffen. And I've seen some people on Twitter talk about like this was more shocking than Donovan not getting called in. And I'm I sat there and read that tweet or the tweets that said that, and I was like, not really, because I mean Donovan is one of the greatest United States men's national team players of all time. That's undisputed at this point. I mean, hell, he's got the MVP trophy in the MLS named after him. It's the Landon Donovan uh, Most Valuable Player trophy. Like, Landon Donovan's greatness is unquestioned in regards to the United States. But when he came, when he was getting called at the squad, he sat out for like a year. Like, he took like a sabbatical or something, and then came back into the squad and was kind of just expecting his spot to still be there. 
And when you're a guy like Landon Donovan, sure, you would expect that you're one of the top two greatest American soccer players of all time with the other one on the squad right now and the captain of the team and Clint Dempsey. So you're, I can understand where you'd expect that, but Klinsman is, was a spiteful SOB. Like you saw what he did to Fabian Johnson. He did the same thing to Donovan. He did the same thing to Tim Howard. Like Howard took a sabbatical. Donovan took a sabbatical. He claimed Fabian Johnson faked an injury that we never saw him anywhere again. I don't even know what he's doing now. But Tim Howard lost his spot to Brad Guzan, which was was random as hell. But Klinsman was just upset that Tim Howard took some time away from the team, and now, oh, Guzan's the starter, which was awful because Guzan was not very good. He's fine, but compared to Tim Howard, no, he's not. <laughs> and Donovan, yeah, that one, he just got – him and Klinsman just got into a bunch of beef. So do I think Donovan should have gone over the likes of Mix Diskarud and Chris Wondolowski? Yeah, especially with hindsight. But Donovan wasn't in the squad for a while. And he pissed off Klinsman, who, again, spiteful SOB. So he obviously wasn't going to pick. So I wasn't really shocked with Donovan not getting included. I was floored with Pepe not getting included. That one shocked me. That one actually shocked me. That one and Stefan shocked me. For both, for two different reasons. For two completely different reasons. But yeah, it, it's fun. It's fun. We got the World Cup coming around. We're 10 days away from the start of the World Cup for me. I'm sitting here on, J- on November 10th. November 20th is when the World Cup starts. November 21st, the United States' first game against Wales. Then they play England on Black Friday. And I don't remember what date they play Iran, but all the games are at 1 o'clock, which is very nice. <laughs> Catering to the United States audience. That's what we need. Catering to the United States audience. Because we're going to watch it all. Like, there's some games that take place at 4 o'clock in the freaking morning. So, yeah, just cater to us. Cater to us. <laughs> we'll be fine. Oh, my goodness. But I'm excited. I'm excited. I know there's obviously not everybody's going to agree with the squad. There were going to be people that hated the squad regardless of what it was. I don't agree with Alexi Lalas freaking out that Haji Wright was included. But, uh, yeah, this squad was not going to be perfect in anybody's eyes. But I think it's a fine squad. I still think that if you look back at the squads the United States has brought in the past... This is the most talent the United States has ever brought to a World Cup, in my opinion. You got a 25-year-old average age squad with a lot of good, great talent. You got like some Pulisic, McKinney, Adams, Aronson, Reyna, Weya, like Musa. You've got talent on talent. Dest, Robinson. Like you've got so much talent in this team. Like the to be upset over a striker not getting included. Do I agree? Do I think Pepe should have been included? Yes, I do. But Haji Wright's a good player. It's not like he's. It's not like he's bringing. I don't know. He's not like he's bringing Aaron Ro- Aaron Johansson out of retirement to play in this World Cup. Like he could be doing that. Like Haji Wright's at least been playing really well. Could have been brought anybody else. Could have brought Jayassi Zardes, and that would make people freak out even more. Which I wouldn't honestly have not been shocked if he did. But yeah, that's the United States squad. I don't really have a massive issue with any of the inclusions on the squad. People obviously are going to have those. I was surprised by some in, not people not included, but overall, I think the United States has enough talent on the squad to at least come in second in this group. You look at what Wales, the Wales squad got announced yesterday. It's if the United States can't get out of this group, we got some problems. Like I was sitting here like last week, and I was like, "Oh yeah, it's a it's not it's a lose not no a lose free." Tournament for the United States. You come in last. Oh, well, you got nice buildup for the next tournament. After seeing Wales squad, which I should have just expected this anyways, because Wales doesn't have an insane crop of players apart from Gareth Bale and a few other, like Dan James, Aaron Ramsey, 
Like, there's other players involved, but the, the United States has to come at least second in this group. They have to come at least second. And for the team that's going to probably win the group, England, so we released our English squad on Wednesday, while we were recording Wednesday's show, and I got two players wrong. So I got more players wrong on the United States side of things than I did on England, and England, I, I can see where the mistakes lied. So the squad for England, I got to try and pull this up real quick. Sorry, I didn't have it pulled up. So how are you guys doing today? <laughs> you guys doing well? You guys doing well? Okay, that's good. Okay, that's good. Well, here's England's squad. So England and goal, they had Jordan Pickford, Nick Pope, and Aaron Ramsdale. No surprises. No surprises at all. We we knew that one going in. Pope will just be Broad's a third off. She's not going to play. Ramsdale will be the backup to Pickford. Both really good with their feet. Both really good distributors. That will be the number one and two, probably third, just because he's not a great distributor. Though he's probably the best natural goalkeeper out of them. Out of those three, he's probably the best natural goalkeeper. Defense, they got Kyle Walker, John Stones, Harry Maguire, Eric Dyer, Kieran Trippier, Luke Shaw, Trent Alexander-Arnold, Connor Cody, and Ben White. Again, we had all those guys, so no real surprises there. Kyle Walker was a question mark, I guess, to a certain extent just because of his injury, but he's one of England's most important players, so he was obviously going to make it. The center back options, obviously, like Fakayo Tamore would probably feel a little bit hard done by, but he hasn't been as good as what he was last year for AC Milan. He's probably the one that's missed out the most or one that feels the most hard done by, especially when we look at Harry Maguire, though he's still technically the captain of Manchester United. He's the four-string center back. He's the four-string center back behind Martinez, Varane, and Lindelof. Like, he got displaced by Lindelof, who now starts next to Martinez since Varane's out injured before the World Cup, who got included in the France squad, no surprise. France squad's elite, as always. But I'm not no real surprise there for me at the defensive parts. I don't think Connor Cody will play a single minute. I think he's just there for vibes, and that's fine. You need that in today's squads. Uh, midfield, we got Jordan Henderson, Declan Rice, Mason Mount, Calvin Phillips, Jude Bellingham, and this was one of the kind of a surprise, Connor Gallagher, which I'm not like insanely surprised about. I just thought that he'd go with uh, James Ward-Prowse. I think James Ward-Prowse and set piece taking abilities would have won him out on the squad. And this is back to back tournament for Prowse, where he's missed out on a tournament. He came close to the Euro squad, came close to the World Cup squad, and just didn't end up getting it over the line. Connor Gallagher just edged him there for youthfulness. I just think with with Ward Prowse's set piece speciality, I guess, would have saw him on the plane, but he's not. And then for the forwards, we had Raheem Sterling, Harry Kane, Marcus Rashford, Jack Grealish, Bakayo Saka, Phil Foden, James Madison, which I was really happy about that he was in the squad, and Callum Wilson. And this one is not really surprising because I just forgot about him. I, I don't know why I forgot him. He's been playing awesome for Newcastle United this season. He's been completely, totally on form where Tammy Abraham really has it. But the thing that made me mostly forget about Calvin, Calvin, Callum Wilson is the fact he hasn't been in an England squad in like three or four years or something. He's been in great form. He was in great form for Bournemouth when he got called the first time. He's been great form for Newcastle. So I'm not saying he doesn't deserve a spot in this team. I think he definitely does. I think he deserves a spot more than Tammy Abraham. But then when you've looked at what the recent squads for England have been, you've seen Ivan Tony and Tammy Abraham. Dominic Calvert-Lewin in there as well. So you've seen those guys. You haven't seen Callum Wilson. And so it was kind of one of those things where maybe he just doesn't rate Callum Wilson. Regardless of how good he does, maybe he just doesn't rate him. I mean, that's a situation because Tammy Abraham and Ivan Tony were not were in the last squad. And I'm not surprised Ivan Tony didn't make it. I think he was probably the second choice option behind Harry Kane, but we, uh, he has some um, 
what do you want to call them, legal issues to take for, <laughs> to face on right now. He had some, like, I think it was a, he was driving around with a, a fake license plate or something like that. I can't remember what exactly it was. But Tammy Abraham, he just hasn't been in great form, I guess, but he was in the last squad. So I thought he'd be that option there. But uh, no, went with Callum Wilson. I'm happy about that. I am happy about that. That's completely my bad. I just totally forgot about him. Not even going to sit here and act like I was, <laughs> I was like, yep, this is why I picked Abraham over Wilson. Nope completely forgot about Callum Wilson, but I think it's well-deserved. I think him and Connor Gallagher, I'm not going to sit here and go, wow, how the hell did these two not go? Well, how did these two go over the likes of Abraham and Ward-Prowse? I'm not going to sit here like that because I understand why they're going because they're both playing well right now. Connor Gallagher is not in the, the greatest form of all time, but I, he just went with youthfulness, I would imagine, in this for Kirk Gallagher. And James Madison, his first World Cup, happy about that. There was some nerves going into this that he wouldn't be included in the squad, even though he's been absolutely tearing it up for Leicester City this year. He's been one of the best players in the Premier League in general. Though Leicester City's kind of a, you know, sucked ass this season, he's been one of their better players. Not better players. He's been their best player, most creative player, best goal scorer. He's been everything for Leicester City this season. And this is only, he's only going to get, once he makes his first World Cup appearance, he'll only be making his second ever cap for the United States, for, for England. Second ever for England. And how good he's been for Leicester City over the past however many years. And this is only going to be his second ever cap. He's got the least amount of caps than anybody on this roster. Less than Connor Gallagher, who's 22 years old, three years younger than him. <laughs> like, it's just fun. I'm I'm happy. I think England squad's solid. I'm not going to sit here and say, like, it's, it's insane. I saw someone today say it's the weakest out of the favorites out of the group. And I do somewhat agree with that. I think Belgium's, it might be a little weaker than England's. Because Belgium, apart from Kevin De Bruyne and Thibaut Courtois, their squad's not really good. Their squad's not really in form. Like, you look at Lukaku, you look at Eden Hazard, who on their day are world-class players, but just haven't been in form. They've sucked for the better part of two years now. So it's kind of, or three years, three years maybe. So now two years. Lukaku was really good for Inter Milan when they won the Scudetto a few years ago. But I can't sit here and say, like, England's is by far the worst because I don't think it is. Like, Netherlands squad's really good. I think the Netherlands squad's very solid. Have they just just off projection? I don't know if they've officially announced their squad or anything yet. Okay, they've named 39 players, but their squad's solid. Their squad's very, very good, especially at the back. I think if you're looking at the defensive areas for the Netherlands, I think they're a more solid group than England's. There's a lot more question marks, especially with Harry Maguire. You got Frankie de Jong in midfield. You got Memphis Depay up top, who's been always been really good for the Dutch national team. Genie Wijnaldum will be missing out of the tournament due to injury, which sucks, but... You know, their squad's really good. I think you could put them up. I think England's squad's better than theirs, probably. I think you got a little bit more questions with England's. I, I don't know. It's close. It's close. So I, I'd i probably put Belgium just... I'm trying to go through each favor of the group and see if I would take theirs or England's squad. I'd probably take nudge towards England's over the Netherlands. Though they have... Like, you look at England's best players who are Harry Kane and... Who would be their second best player? Raheem Sterling? Maybe. And then the Dutch best two players are Virgil van Dijk and Frankie de Jong. Two undoubtedly world-class players. Like, Harry Kane's world-class. We know that one. But who's the other world, world completely, undeniably world-class player on England? That's where we have that discussion. In net, it's fairly similar between Jasper Sillison and Jordan Pickford. I think that's a very similar battle there. Yeah, it's, it's close between the Netherlands and England, but we know England's squad. Then we got Argentina. Have they announced their squad yet? I mean, they just got Messi. Yeah, they got Messi. Emiliano Martinez was awesome in the in the Copa America last time out. 
Luisandro Martinez for Manchester United has been balling out recently. Their defensive area kind of startles me a little bit, which it always has. But um, I think I, I like Argentina's squad a lot. Rodrigo DePaul, baller. Lissandro Paredes, Paredes, baller. Di Maria, regardless of what I feel about him, baller. Alexis Mac McAllister, surprised me that he's included, but I'm happy that he's in. Happy that he's in. You know, McAllister, very Argentinian name right there. You got Lerato Martinez. You got Paulo Dybala, who I don't... Is Paulo Dybala actually going to be in the tournament? I'm pretty sure he's hurt. But Julian Alvarez has been playing really well for Man City and obviously got the GOAT, Lionel Messi. So may, I'm going to lean towards Argentina's. France, I'm just taking France. There's not even really need to, to say anything. France squad is so good that they only need 25 players on their squad. Like, France is so... Their team's so good. I'm The goalie situation's kind of concerning to me. It's kind of concerning me. Mike Mangion is hurt. I forgot about that the other day when we were talking about the squad. See, he's hurt. He's been out for a while for AC Milan as well, so I don't even know why I said that. But the goalies are the same, I believe, as the last World Cup. We got Loris, Mandenda, and Ariola. I think that's the exact same goalies they had last time. But then you have Varane, Benjamin Pavard, Lucas Hernandez, Theo Hernandez, uh, Presno Kimbembe, Jules Koundé, William Saliba, Dio Upamakano, and Ibrahima Kanate. Baller back line. Then you got Adrian. The midfield's a little bit suspect more than what it has been in the past. But Adrian Rabio, we have Chimeni, we have Guendouzi, we have Veratu, which if you had told me when Veratu was playing for Aston Villa that he would be in a World Cup squad, I would have called you absolutely freaking crazy. But here he is. We have Eduardo Camavinga and then uh, Fofana from Monaco. So young midfield. We have a couple oldies in there in Veratu and Rabio, but like Chimeni's 22. Guendouzi's 23. Camavinga's 20. Fofana's 23. So you got some youth there. And then up top, this is where the ballers lie. We got Giroud, who's going to become France's all-time leading scorer, which is ridiculous to think about after this World Cup. Uh, Antoine Griezmann, who's been France's talisman for the past however many years now. Kareem Benzema just won the Ballon d'Or. Kylian Mbappe's probably next in line to win the Ballon d'Or. Kingsley Komen, Ousmane Dembele, and Christopher Nkuku. That's awesome. That's an awesome front line. I'm glad Nkuku's in there. He balled out for RB Leipzig last year. He's been balling out this year. He hasn't scored a single goal this year for the French national team or just in this year ever. He's got eight caps, no goals. I don't know how much he's going to play in the World Cup because France's front line is pretty locked and loaded at this point. They're probably going to run a back three and play Griezmann as the 10 with Benzema and Mbappe as the two strikers in front of him. That's insane. That's absolutely insane. I know Griezmann hasn't been in the best form recently, Pretty much since he left, left Atletico Madrid, but with France, he always is at his best. He's always at his best with France. One of my favorite players to watch when he's at his best. Their team's elite. And I, I again, when you look at their group, Australia, Denmark, and Tunisia, you're going to tell me France is going to make miss the group, not get out of the group. I know there's a streak of teams winning the World Cup and going to the next one and not getting out of the group. That ain't happening. France is too deep, especially with Australia, Denmark, and Tunisia. Nah, no, 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 no. Group E, I don't know who you would classify as the favorite between Germany and Spain. I think this is what you'd consider the group of death. But I think those are the two favorite. Mario Goetz is back in the squad for Germany, which was kind of surprising, but I'm glad to see him back in the squad. I don't know if Spain's announced their squad yet. I, I don't think that. No, they did they? They have not announced their squad yet. I thought I saw something today that they did, but they haven't yet. So we'll get back to you on that one for who's the favorite in that one once Spain releases their squad. Uh, Belgium. Again, it's not an insane squad. I I have nothing really against Belgium apart from they knocked the United States out in 2014, but I don't really know issues apart from that. Like, you got Courtois. Like, Toby Alderweireld and Jan Vertonghen are still on the team. Vertonghen's 35, Alderweireld is 33, 
And then we got Thomas Mounier, who's 31 years old. Timothy Castagna is good. I like Timothy Castagna. But it's the back line's not great. Alex Witz, Axel Witzel, 33. Kevin De Bruyne still balling out. We know Kevin De Bruyne. Yuri Tielemans, like him. Yannick Carrasco's fine. They got Leandra Dendonker. Not really that great. And then up top, Lukaku. Again, the all-time scorer for, for the Belgian national team, but just hasn't been playing great recently. Eden Hazard hasn't been playing good in about four, three or four years. Dries Mertens, 35 years old. Baller on his day, but 35. Torgan Hazard is probably him and Eden. This is the closest they've ever been in regards to how they're playing. Uh, Leandro Tressard, I'm happy he's going. I am happy he's going. He's probably been the best, most consistent player in the front line this year. Been playing really good for Brighton. Uh, Mishi Bashuai is there. And I saw this. I thought this was pretty funny. Berhalter was talking about it. He was comparing Haji Wright's numbers in the Turkish League to Belgium's number one striker, who their starting striker, who has five goals in the league. And I sat there and was like, Lukaku doesn't play in the Belgian League? Or they play in the Turkish League? Who's their number one striker? And I looked, I was like, is he calling Mishi Bashuai their number one striker? I have no general... Oh, wait, no, is this their... This isn't their World Cup squad, is it? Is this not their World Cup squad? I thought I thought I saw something about it being their World Cup squad. So maybe it's not. Maybe it's not. But either way, I'm not a massive fan of the Belgian squad. I'm not. Like, even in the players that could get called up, like Dedra Boyata, uh, Jason Denier, uh, Thomas Fawkett, <laughs> um, Alexis Salemakers from AC Milan, Dennis Pryat from Leicester City, then Christian Benteke, Divock Origi, Adnan Yanezai. Like, it's just, it's not insane. It's not as insane as, as everybody hypes them up to be the best team in the world or one of the best. They're ranked number two in the world right now. I, I don't really, I don't see it. I could be wrong. I have really have no issue if they'd win the World Cup this year, but I just don't see it at this point. We'll have full World Cup predictions next Friday for you. And then Group G, we've already talked about Brazil's squad. We talked about them on Wednesday. And then Group H, Portugal. Yeah, they I know they announced their squad today. Their squad's nice. Their squad's nice. Got a nice youthful, got a nice uh, mixture of old people <laughs> and youth. Like, Rui Patricio's still there, kicking at 34. But I'm Diogo Costa, who's on the uh, the fray for Manchester United this offseason. We'll see if that one goes through. And Jose Saw from Wolves. This is He's never appeared for, for Portugal. He ain't going to start now unless Patricio gets hurt. And I would imagine Costa's number two. But Saw's been playing great for Wolverhampton since he's been there. Really good option. They're replacing Rui Patricio, actually, since coming over from Olympiacos. Then defense got Pepe still kicking. I didn't even know he was still playing, to be honest. 39 years old. Didn't know he was still playing. Uh, Danilo Pereira, Rafael Guerrero, Ruben Diaz, João Cancelo, Nuno Mendes, Diego Diogo Dallo, and Antonio Silva from Benfica. This will be his first appearances if he makes one. He's 19 years old. A little different than Jose Saw making his first appearance. He's 29, <laughs> which is just a completely different thing. But... Guerrero's a baller on his day. Ruben Diaz, we already know about him. Diogo Dallo has been balling out for Manchester United. I don't know if he'll start with Jao Cancelo, possibly playing left back or right back with Nuno Mendes in there. I don't know who's going to be start. What that the wing back? We obviously know Cancelo's going to start. We know Cancelo's going to start, but it's a matter if he plays left back or right back with Mendes being there. But Ruben Diaz is a baller. Pereira's played started moving to center back. He's normally a defensive midfielder, but he's moved back to center back. Oh, and Rafael Guerrero. Why did I completely forget about Rafael Guerrero? I, I just thought about him on his day. He's a baller, and I just forgot that he's the starting left back above Nuno Mendes. But back line's good. Midfield, William Carvalho, Bernardo Silva, Silva, João Mario is still kicking around the team. 
which dude's only 29. I feel like this dude's been around the squad, and he looks like he's 50. This dude's been around the Portugal squad for freaking ever. And then we got Bruno Fernandes, or Bruno Fernandes, depending on if you play FIFA or not. Uh, Ruben Neves, João Palina, Mateus Nunes, uh, Ativo, Adavivo. Jeez, I'm not even going to try him. From Porto, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> and Vitina from PSG, who just made the move to PSG. He's been balling out for PSG this season. But that midfield is deep. Bernardo Silva and Bruno Fernandez, ballers. Ruben Neves, baller. Vitina, baller. Carvalho is a really safe option. He's very slow. Very slow. But he's a safe option. He's a safe option for Jean Mario. Again, I can't believe that dude's still on the squad. Especially without, like, I don't know if he's injured or something. Renato Sanchez. I would probably lean towards Renato Sanchez over Jean Mario. That's just me. That's just me. And then up top, of course, Cristiano Ronaldo's still there. Andre Silva's still there. Jao Felix, Rafael Liao, uh, Ricardo Horta, and Giancarlo Ramos. 21 years old, making his first appearance as well. But I'm excited to see how that front line works. I'm really excited to see what uh, Rafael Liao does. Dude's been absolutely tearing it up for AC Milan recently. Jao Felix, I want this dude to do well. I like Jao Felix a lot. He plays for a very defensive side in Atletico Madrid, but doesn't really suit his style. So I want to see him do well. Andre Silva has been balling out recently. We obviously know about him, and then obviously Cristiano Ronaldo. He's not been in the best form. He's probably been in the worst form of his career, which is saying something. Like, Ronaldo never has bad form. So this is not even that bad, but he's not playing good. He'll probably leave Manchester United in the in, uh, the January window, which I'm kind of fine with at this point. It would be sad to see him go, and the only reason he was there is just so he didn't go to Man City. We rant, ranted about that last year when they signed. But, yeah, that's the Portugal squad. That team is deep. That team is good. A lot of experience throughout the squad, been to multiple tournaments. A lot of players on this team won the Euros back in 2016. Euro 2016, I believe it was, in France. A lot of these players are still on the team. But I'm intrigued to see how this team works because Portugal's kind of got one of those issues where they play too much through their main guy in Cristiano Ronaldo. Sweden kind of got in that issue with Zlatan. You're trying to get him involved way too much and it kind of takes away from the rest of the team. So if you... Think more about team than just Ronaldo, which is kind of hard to do because Ronaldo is one of the greatest players of all time. So it can be hard to do that. But it kind of faulted. You see it Manchester United at times. Bruno and Ronaldo sometimes struggle to play together. So I would like to see the team play as a team rather than just go through the through Ronaldo. I think not having um, Diego Jota is massive. Pedro Neto's not in the team as well. Uh, Giancarlo Guedes, not in the team. Giancarlo Guedes. Is not in the team, just moved over to Wolverhampton from Valencia this summer. But a solid, really good squad. Really, really good squad. Do I have any, That's the last one. So if I had to power rank them, if I had to take my favorite squads out of all of them, I would go uh, France 1, Brazil 2, Portugal 3, Argentina 4, England 5, Belgium 6, Netherlands 7. Is that seven groups? goes to G, A, or H. A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H. So I, I'm missing one. Oh, Sp Spain and Germany. I don't know who's going to be the main one there. So I, <laughs> we're, we're just going, we're going out on a limb with that one. I don't, I don't remember. I don't know who's got, but Germany's got a, I mean, Germany's got a solid squad always. They're a very um, strict team. Like you got Manuel Neuer in net. Marc-Andre Ter Stegen who's playing really well for Barcelona. Kevin Trapp from Eintracht Frankfurt. Defensively, you got Antonio Rudiger, Matthias Ginter, Nicolas Sula, uh, Tilo Kerr from West Ham just transferred there from PSG. Uh, Lucas Klosterman, 
I love some of these extremely German names. We'll get to another one here in a little bit. David Rum, who's linked to Manchester United this summer. Christian Gunter. <laughs> Nico Schlatterbeck. That is the most German name ever. <laughs> plays for Borussia Dortmund. And Armel Bettacatschup plays for Southampton. Probably said that wrong. I'm sorry. Then we got Joshua Kimmich in midfield with Mario Goza being back in the team. Ilkay Gundogan. We got Leon Goretzka. Julian Brandt. Kai Havertz. Jamal Musiala. Uh, Jonas Hoffman. And then up top, we got Thomas Muller, still kicking it. Leroy Sané, Serge Nabry, Kareem Adiemi, sorry, Nicholas Fulkrug, Fulkrug, and then Yufusua, I'm not, I, I can't say his name, 17 years old. I've watched him with Borussia Dortmund, I can't say his name, Mukoku. I'm sorry, I can't say his name. I'm sorry, I, I apologize for that. But Germany's always going to have a, star, a strong team, especially when you have names like Klostermann and Schlotterbreck in the team. you got to be good if you have those. Your Germany, you have to have a few, like, stereotypical German last names in there. Muller, there's another one. So, like, you got, like, just got to have those guys in there. You can't have a guy with, like, last name Smith as Germany. But, yeah, those are the, the main squads for the World Cup. And, again, I think the United States, I, as we get closer, the more and more nervous I get. So, the more and more I'm like, okay, you have to finish second. You have to finish at least second. Look at these squads that you're playing. Wales and Iran are not equal to you. Regardless of, again, how happy you are, how down to earth you are with the squad. They have the second most talented squad in this in this group. They do. Okay? They do. So that's how I'm looking at that one. That's your World Cup. So we got uh, we got next Friday we'll do predictions and stuff like that because the World Cup will start on Sunday, November 20th. The United States, again, will play their first game on November 21st, which is a Monday at 1. So make sure you stay tuned for that one. Now... To cater to most of my audience, <laughs> we will talk about American football now, okay? We will get to American football, take a sip of, of beverage. We will we will go back to American football. We've got we got a quarterback prospect rankings to get to. We've got a whole weekend of college football, a whole weekend of NFL. Start with college football. Start with college football. So, Iowa... This week is taking on uh, Wisconsin in the battle for the Heartland Trophy, which is always one of my favorite trophies, one of my favorite rivalries in college football. It is a snooze fest to watch, though. 99% of the time, there's obviously outliers in every situation, so most of the time, this game sucks. But, it, like, last year, sucked. Absolute brutal showcase from Iowa last year. Now it's back at home. Wisconsin's a one-and-a-half-point favorite in this game. Iowa's starting to get a little bit of a rhythm as an offense, which is nice to see is pretty much split right down the middle in this game, Iowa versus Wisconsin. And while I'm looking at this, I kind of lean towards Wisconsin right now just because of the fact their run game is a lot more consistent. I know Johnson had a great game last week against Purdue. Is that sustainable? Well, obviously 200 yards every single game is not sustainable unless you're some freak of nature like Jonathan Taylor or something. But Braylon Allen's been balling out this year. He's he's 11 yards away from 1,000 yards a season. He has 10 touchdowns on the year. Like, that's almost more touchdowns than Iowa has a team. I'm joking. I'm joking. I'm joking. But the offense for Iowa is playing better. They are playing better. Graham Mertz for Wisconsin, their quarterback's playing better as the season's gone on. Kind of was a – he had that amazing first-ever start in college. I think it was against Illinois. I, it was Illinois or Maryland. I don't remember. But had a pretty shit-ass year last year and then started playing well this year. I think being in Iowa is going to be big. I think it being at 230 is big. I love 230 kickoffs at Iowa. One of the best times ever to start a football game is 2.30. So I would probably lean a little bit towards Wisconsin, but it's close. It's close, obviously. I, I'm not really sitting here confident in saying that. It's a close one. Then we look at Iowa State. 
this weekend. They're taking on Oklahoma State. Iowa State is a favorite in this game, which is very strange to me because Iowa State has one game won in the Big 12 so far this season. They beat West Virginia last week in 31-14. Fairly easy game for them. And they're taking on Oklahoma State, who is now unranked after two blowout losses to Kansas to the state of Kansas, Kansas State and Kansas, and losing three of their last four games. Like, they are not looked at the same way as we once thought they were. I would probably lean again a little bit towards Oklahoma State, but with how Oki State's been playing, it's it's rough. I mean, neither one of these teams have really been playing that great in their last five games. Iowa State's one and four in their last five. Oklahoma State's two and three. So it's nothing, like, amazing or stuff to write home about, but I would probably lean a little bit towards Oki State. And then we move to UNI. UNI has got – I don't remember who they've got this weekend. Oh, they're on a bye. I thought I saw they were on this weekend. Am I a bad fan? I am a bad fan. Sorry about that. They're on a bye, and they need a bye. They need a bye week because last week was a heartbreaker. Got called for leaping on the missed field goal at the end of the game. Probably should have won the game. Theo Day missed a few throws in the game against South Dakota State. Gut-wrenching, gut-punch of a game. The, the offense still looks really good for you and I. And they're taking on South Dakota next week. That game should be a win. The Dakota Dome is a very tough place to play. I went there for a football camp. I got invited there on a, I don't know what you want to call it. It was like a visit, a college visit. And we had like a a showcase, I guess. It was the only showcase I'd ever been invited to. Well, I had a blue-gray All-American camp that I got invited to. And that one, there was about 30, 40 quarterbacks there. And surprisingly, from all over the Midwest, I was ranked second. It was just the problem, the national combines, where I absolutely shit the bed. But <laughs> the at the out of the back of that, I got invited to the, the South Dakota college pro day it wasn't a pro day but because I wasn't going to the NFL but it was trying to like see if you get a scholarship or something and the Dakota Dome is a big concrete cylinder like you think like the Unidome is nothing to look at on the outside go to Vermilion and look at the Dakota Dome it's a very I would I would take the inside of the Dakota Dome over the inside of the Unidome but the outside, it nothing, nothing to look at. I'm, I'm happy about these renovations that you and I is doing. Those are going to be really cool. But you and I should be able to win this game. They should be able to win this game. And for the rest of the nation, for college football, this is where we've got in our Tom McAllister sponsored picks of the week. Let's get our our picks, our pickers out. Get our pickers out. Okay. Tom sends me the picks every single I don't know Tuesday. It feels like I don't know Monday is when he sent these ones. We did, we've done good the past few weeks. We've done good. I don't want to jinx anything, but we've done all right the past few weeks. The first game that we've got here on the Tom McAllister sponsored picks of the week, we've got Cincinnati taking on East Carolina. East Carolina, obviously, had a very good game against BYU a few weeks ago. Ruined my pick for that one. They're on a bye, so they're not a... They're, they're fresh. They're a fresh team. Both teams are very similar. Both teams are very, very similar. Both teams are 4-1 and one in their last five games as well. Just because you ruined my evening with pick, losing to, to beating BYU, we're going to pick Cincinnati. Just off vibes. Just off vibes. I think playing at Cincinnati at night, I think it's a big uh, a big game for them. Oklahoma taking on West Virginia. Oklahoma's finally getting start, starting to get into a, somewhat of a rhythm, or at least it felt like it until they lost last week to Baylor by three points. They're eight-point favorites against West Virginia. West Virginia has won one in their last five games, so we're taking on Oklahoma this weekend. We're taking Oklahoma. We're taking Oklahoma. Then we got Illinois and Purdue. Illinois is coming off a massive loss to Michigan State. Last week, Purdue is coming off a massive loss to Iowa. I think when you're looking at what teams do well, 
I think Illinois' defense will be able to do enough. You saw what Purdue did against Iowa's defense last week. I think with it being at Illinois, Illinois is a six-and-a-half-point favorite. We're going to go with the fighting Illini in this game. Next one we got on here, we've got Tennessee taking on Missouri. They're going to take a lot of pe- a lot of pent-up aggression out on the Missouri Tigers this weekend. They're going to take a lot. I know Missouri doesn't get blown out often. They obviously had that very close game with Georgia. But I think with it being at Tennessee after a tough loss to Georgia, I think Tennessee's going to come back and cover their 20-and-a-half-point favorites. But I think Tennessee, being at Neyland Stadium, I think will come back with an absolute vengeance and take all their pent-up progression out on <laughs> on Missouri. Like, Missouri – like Tennessee, okay, Tennessee's defense is nothing, nothing special. It's actually very bad. They had, like, the third-worst pass defense in college football. So, normally I'd be concerned about that. But Missouri, they don't have an insane pass offense. Like, Tennessee, I know this is – it's obviously going to be different because Tennessee's an elite team. They averaged three – or 132 more pass yards a game on average than Missouri. Tennessee, passing the ball, has 15 less yards per game average than Missouri does in total yards of offense. We're going to take Tennessee on the, the recovery game, on the absolute recovery game. We've got LSU taking on Arkansas – Similar thing, Arkansas's pass defense just isn't very good. LSU's a three-and-a-half-point favorite. Uh, we're going to take the Tigers. Now, they could have had just an entire emotional, like, uh, what do you want to call that? Uh, what do you call that thing? Where you, you, They just had everything going for them in the Alabama game. A lot of emotion went into that game. Maybe they come back with a catch an L this weekend. But Arkansas's coming off an L themselves. They lost to Liberty. So, at home as well. So, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take the LSU Tigers. Then we've got the Clemson Tigers, sticking with the Tigers, taking on the Louisville Cardinals. I kind of want to pick Louisville just because I don't I don't want to pick Clemson. I'm going to pick Louisville just for vibes. Just for freaking vibes. And I've always said I've said the past few weeks Clemson's not very good. So I want to keep nailing that that thing down with a Louisville win this week. Louisville's coming off some massive dubs, like big time upset win. Or not big time upset, but Big-time blowout wins, and Clemson's coming off a blowout loss in Notre Dame, so we're going to take Louisville. We got Iowa State, Oklahoma State. I already said I'm kind of leaning towards Okie State. That's where I'm going to go there. That could be wrong. Probably is wrong. Iowa and Wisconsin. I already said I'm leaning a little bit towards Wisconsin because of their running game. But, uh, okay, Iowa is catching a nice little run of form right now. They've won two games in a row after getting ass-splashed by 44 against Ohio State. Um... Being at Iowa's big crap. I'm gonna go Wisconsin. I'm gonna go with Wisconsin. I I would I would be perfectly fine with Iowa winning this game, obviously, but I'm gonna go Wisconsin. Michigan, Nebraska. What the hell's the line? 31 is the line for this game. 31. Nebraska gives it 441 yards a game. Yeah, we're taking Michigan. It's a big line. 31. It's a big ass line. But Michigan will run the ball over them. Blake Corum's already got 1,100 yards. He's damn near close to 1,200 yards. So, yeah, I think they'll run the ball all over Nebraska this weekend. And then we got Penn State, Maryland, which is an interesting one. Absolutely interesting one. Penn State coming off a win against Indiana. They come off a tough loss. They've kind of alternated wins and losses. They had the, the win against Northwestern, lost to Michigan. Win against Minnesota, lost to Ohio State. Win against Indiana. Do we do the? Do we go with patterns? Do we go with patterns and say they're going to lose to Maryland? Is that what we're going to do? Are we? Are they going to lose to Maryland? Ten-point favorites at home. The Turpins 
10, 10 point underdogs. What's the Nate? What's the nation thinking? What's the nation? What's the what's the nation versus Penn State? Let's see what the national people are saying. See what they say. It's not a rivalry game. Okay, I didn't I didn't know it was considered a rivalry game. That's news to me. I'm sorry. Do Penn State people consider do Maryland people consider this a rivalry? Um, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> I'm gonna lead towards Penn State since it's at Happy Valley. We're going with Penn State, Washington State, Arizona State. I don't know what the line is, but I'm leaning towards Washington State just early on. I need to see the line though. Hold on, give me a few more seconds. Eight. Yeah, we're taking Washington State, especially with it being at Washington State. Arizona State's defense stinks. Cameron Ward's been balling out recently. He's had a couple of good games in a row, though they had the tough loss to Utah. He played well against against Utah. Had a good game last week against Stanford as well. Then we got Alabama and Ole Miss. This one's a weird one. This one's a very, very weird one. But Alabama's a 12-point favorite in this game. Uh, 12 points in Oxford. In Oxford. My gut is honestly kind of leaning towards Ole Miss covering. With it being in Oxford. Ole Miss tends to play Alabama a little tough. Ole Miss has got a solid enough defense. Solid enough. Clarify that. Solid enough. You got a really fat. You know what? We're gonna take. We're gonna take Ole Miss. We're gonna take Ole Miss. Yeah. I, I take them covering. I don't think they're gonna win, but I'll take them covering. Tulane against UCF. You know, as everybody thought, a top twenty-five matchup at the start of the season. Everybody said this was gonna happen. Tulane. Obviously, everyone predicted is eight and one on the season. Uh, who do we want to lean towards here? One and a half. Let's just go with Tulane. Green Wave. I like the Green Wave. UCF still pissed me off over claiming they're national champions. So we're gonna go with UC. We're gonna go with Tulane there. Florida, South Carolina. I'm gonna take Florida. I'm not even gonna look at the line. I just think that Florida is going on a really good run right now. They obviously didn't play as good as they wanted, but they played tough against Georgia. Had opportunities to come back into that game. They were down, I think, by seven at one point, twenty to seven. Yeah, I'm not sitting here and saying they were down by seven. It was seven to nothing early. They were down. But 20-7, Anthony Richardson played really well last week against AM. and We'll talk about him more in a little bit. Oregon taking on Washington. If you're above the age of 60 or 70 years old, you say Wash, Wash, Washington. Oregon is a 13-point favorite. That's kind of surprising. 13 points. Washington scores a crap ton of points. Michael Penix is playing really well this year. Do I want to say, do I want to lean towards Washington? Because that feels a little mean. But they have been beat by th- they got beat by Arizona State, and with it being at Oregon, Oregon scored over forty points. I think every game this year, apart from the one against Georgia. Do I think like they're very similar teams? Thirteen points—that's a lot. I'm going to go with Washington. I'm going to go with Washington. Georgia, Mississippi State. Don't even know the line. Picking Georgia. What is the line? Sixteen. Yeah, we're picking Georgia. Penn State or Kansas State taking on Baylor. Baylor obviously had that big win against Oklahoma last week. Kansas State is coming off a tough loss, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, against Texas. Let's go with the Bears. Let's go with the Bears. They're two and a half point favorites at home. We'll take them. I've been to their stadium. Then we got Texas Tech, Kansas. Man, this is. I'm trying to cruise and trying to cruise through this, but it's a little. It's getting a little difficult. It's getting a little difficult. Kansas is one in they've won one in their last four. Texas Tech, same thing. Um, it's at Tech. 
Tech is a tough, tough cookie. Tough team. Oklahoma State's going on. Oh, we're going to go with Kansas. We're going to go with the Jayhawks. Kind of fun. I want to keep rooting for Kansas. I don't like Texas Tech. I don't really have an issue with them. Sorry about that, Texas Tech. Wake Forest in North Carolina. North Carolina's offense is awesome. Blake Drake May is freaking awesome this year. He's been one of the best quarterbacks in college football. We'll be considered one of the best quarterbacks in the draft next year. Dude has 31 touchdowns and three picks right now. Going to Wake Forest. Neither one of these teams' defenses are very good. Wake Forest is on a two-game skid. Do I keep them on the two-game skid? North Carolina's the dog. Oh, we're taking North Carolina. I want to take the, the Tar Heels. Say the North Carolina Tar Heels in that one. Auburn and Texas A&M, both are absolute shit shows. Both are just absolute shit shows. I have no nothing really else to say about that one. I just might skip this game on in general because uh, I don't I, I just I just don't want to pick it. I, I you know what? No, we'll pick Cadillac. We'll pick Cadillac Williams. What's the line? One and a half. Yeah, Cadillac Williams. I like him over Jimbo Fisher. Let's go Cadillac. Then we got Texas at TCU or TCU at Texas. I'll go TCU again just for for vibes. Iowa quarterback versus the team that's ranked in the top 25 after a loss. Got to pick TCU. Florida State, Syracuse. Florida State's now back in the top 25. Syracuse has dropped out of the top 25. It's a night game at Syracuse. The Carrier Dome is a tough place to play. It is a tough place to play. No, they've lost three straight. Florida State's won two straight with blowout wins against Georgia Tech and Miami. Uh, I'm going to go Syracuse. I'm going with the Cuse. At least cover. And they're a touchdown dog in this game. I think they can keep it close. Oregon State and Cal. What's the line 13? We'll take Oregon State. I don't even want to look at that one too long. Stanford, Oregon. I think Stanford could probably, they might be able to keep up with them. Might. But they got absolutely slacked last week against Washington State. It's back-to-back blowout losses. So, yeah, we're going to go with Oregon or Utah. They're 20, ooh, 24. Um, crap. Um... Yeah, let's go Utah. Being at Utah is always tough. Arizona at UCLA. That one's tough because, again, like we said last week with Arizona, they can keep up with a lot of teams. They can keep up with them, but UCLA is a different breed. 20-point favorite. Arizona State hasn't lost by... Because uh... Jaden DeLura, I think Jaden DeLura can score with them. Uh, we'll go with UCLA. We'll pick them covering. I'm not happy with any of those picks. You know what? I'm not. I'm so unhappy with those picks. I'm not even going to read them again. You're just going to have to go back, listen again, and try and guess what games I'm saying and how confident I am around each game because I I ain't doing that again. I ain't going around these games again. Absolutely brutal. I hate these games. Absolutely hate them. Now, with that being said, let's go to something I want to talk about. Let's go into something I want to talk about. Week 10 quarterback prospect rankings. I'm excited for this one. We have a few new faces in here. And I would just like to say this before I start. I dropped Tyler Van Dyke out. I'm I've been holding out hope for like however many weeks in a row now. He got hurt again last week against Florida State. This year's just been so up and down with him. He's got all the physical traits, but for whatever reason, it's just not clicking. There's been stretches where Miami's offense has looked bad. Like, really bad. We have the game against East Middle Tennessee State. We had that game. We had the Duke game where he got hurt. Then with Florida State last week, he got hurt again. I, I, I'm i I'm done holding out. I'm done holding out. I've dropped him out. I've dropped him out. I've dropped him out. Yeah, I've dropped him out. Now, we have two new people in here, which is who I dropped. So, I have two new people in, and I don't remember who the two people I dropped out. <laughs> I had Van Dyke drop out. Who was the other one? I don't remember, but somebody's missing. (laughs) 
somebody is missing. But we'll talk about them in a little bit, I guess. We'll try to figure that one out. But it's not too dissimilar to last week, at least in the top five. Top five will probably stay the same for the rest of the season. Sorry. Just because I'm focusing on... So the two people at the top are Stroud and Young. Or Young and Stroud, sorry. Young at one, Stroud at two. With those two... So Young... Didn't, neither one of them had a great game Saturday. Neither one of them had a great game. Stroud obviously did not play great against Northwestern, which obviously holds a little bit more weight than Young not playing his greatest game against LSU on the road. I Okay, Northwestern was on the road as well. I guess I shouldn't back talk against Northwestern on the road. And it was in the rain, so maybe I shouldn't say too much about that. But I think, like, Young, his interception was bad. His interception was bad. It's in the red zone. Came up, stepped in the pocket, was running a little bit. LSU defender came up right in his face. He tried to throw it forced it, threw it behind his receiver, got picked off. Not great. Not great. Did throw a touchdown, though. Did throw, manage to get a touchdown in the game to, uh, crap, was it, was it Brooks? Was that, I'm trying to read through my, my dissertation here. I've said that word twice today, and I'm kind of surprised I've said that twice. But he threw to Brooks on a touchdown. Great play moving around the pocket. Broke out to the right. Brooks was wide open in that. People are going to say, oh, Brooks was wide open. It's an easy throw. Yeah, but Young's ability to make plays inside the pocket brought the defense, sucked the defense in. When you think the quarterback's going to get sacked or they're going to try and break out or run the ball, you're not going to stay most of the time. I know it's what you're supposed to do, but most of the time you're not going to stand pat. You're going to try and run towards the line of scrimmage and finish him at the line of scrimmage. You don't want him to get more yards. So more often than not in those types of situations, if you're a quarterback that's able to move around like that, you're going to get a receiver open just by default because the defense is going to stop playing. Just how it works sometimes. And it worked out there. Now, they came up with a loss. Overtime loss. Bryce Young had a couple really nice plays throughout the game. There was one driver he just threw a bunch of crossing routes, which is fine, which is perfectly fine. But it wasn't his greatest game, but it was against LSU, so I'll hold allow that. And C.J. Stroud, not dude, had 76 yards passing. He had went 10 of 26 against Northwestern. Against Northwestern, this is not a powerhouse. I know it's. I know Northwestern's a man. That stadium in Evanston's tough place to play. Tough as hell place to play. But 76 yards passing? Really? 76 yards for C.J. Stroud. 76 yards passing. Now, though he had 76 yards passing and no touchdowns, didn't have a turnover, but he ran the ball for 79 yards. And what was cool about this is because, so he had a career, his career high before this was 48 yards. He had it at one rush his freshman year. And then last year, he had a high of 13. So his high passed his 48-yard run. He never got above 15. So the fact that he ran for 79 yards and broke off runs greater than 15 yards a couple times this game was pretty impressive. And it came off of read option plays, which is what you what you usually get these big-time carries out from quarterbacks. The defensive end crashes super hard, especially when you're C.J. Stroud, who we've never said is immobile. He just doesn't move. He doesn't run. He never does. Regardless if you want him to run or not, he just doesn't do it. And he's not that big, comparatively. He's not a big dude running the football. He's like 6'3", but he's very skinny. So he doesn't run the ball often. But he did off this game, and he showed off some of his speed in this game and broke off some massive runs. And you can tell Northwestern was a little surprised by this happening because they had no one over top. They had no, like, Stroud would get to the first down marker before anybody would even make first contact with him. Like, he was not struggling at all getting these big gains out for, for Ohio State against Northwestern running the ball. Uh, number three, Will Levis. I think this is a nice bounce back game. I know it was against Missouri. I know it was against Missouri. But you need to have bounce backs games. I know Missouri's nowhere near the level of Tennessee. I'm well aware of that. But when you have a game like you did against Tennessee, where you throw for less than 100 yards, 
where you don't throw for a touchdown, you throw three interceptions, two of them very bad, it can eat at you a little bit, especially on the national audience, national stage, on the road, 44 to, I think, six final, and you throw three interceptions, less than 100 yards passing. That's not great. That could be a confidence killer, and that's why I love the first play Kentucky ran was a deep ball down the near sideline because one of Will Levis' interceptions on a deep ball to the far sideline. Under shorter arm to throw, picked off. This one, beautiful ball. Absolutely beautiful ball. Threw it to Barry and Brown on the near sideline. Beautiful ball. Picked up a big first down. Tennis, they scored again later on that drive. And Levis had three touchdowns. Had three touchdowns. Said some great darts throughout the course of the game. There's nothing that was like awe-inspiring or jaw-dropping. Now, he did have a play in the, towards the end of that first drive where he was rolling out, or kind of not really rolling out. He stepped into the pocket, was kind of backpedaling to his left. And as he was falling back, threw a ball right across his body. But the guy was, it was, I'm trying to explain this. Just go look it up. It, he was falling back, kind of threw it across his body. And he completed a first down to Dang, Dangle, the tight end. Or Dangle, sorry, Dangle. Jordan Dangle for a 17-yard gain. Like, it's those types of throws. And you look at the pockets he's working with. They're just non-existent. Like, a lot of these throws that were absolute bullets, they, he you can't even see him. The pocket surrounds him before he even really fakes the handoff. Like it, There's just no time to do anything. His O-line stinks. They don't want him to run the ball, though he's a very capable runner, more than capable runner. They don't want him to run. He's getting hit every single time he throws. And this time he threw three touchdowns. No turnovers either. 13 completions. They ran the ball 41 times, so he wasn't really need. He didn't really get asked to do a whole lot. Chris Rodriguez ran the ball a crap ton. I think he had 29 carries on the day. But yeah, a nice bounce back game. They're playing Vanderbilt, so I'm kind of expecting a similar thing going on in this game. And Vanderbilt, one of the bottom, <laughs> one of the worst pass defenses in the country, bottom two in pass defense. So yeah, better have a good game this week for Anthony Richardson. This was a traits game for Richardson. Absolute traits game. You saw him running the ball well. He scored two touchdowns on the run. One was a read option play from like 10 yards out that he dove into the end zone to get. The next one was a 60-yard touchdown run. That was just awesome. Awesome thing. It was the same thing that we talked about with Stroud with those read option plays. DN crashed so hard. The entire defense crashed. But with Anthony Richardson, you're just stupid if you're doing that. You, you've watched film, I would imagine. I mean, it's Texas A&M, so I don't know what they've, the hell they've been doing this year. But... You've supposedly been watching film on Anthony Richardson. Uh, you would know that he breaks off massive runs almost once a game, right? So it shouldn't you shouldn't have nobody to the left side of the field or right sorry, near side of the field, the right side of the field when he pulls the ball. He, like the announcer and I thought like the announcer just said <laughs> they're looking at the bottom of his shoes. Or something like that. The bottom of his soles. I'm trying to find... I wrote it down somewhere, but I don't remember where I had it. Because I just thought it was funny. So there's nobody around him. And he's burned off a 60-yard touchdown run. Dude's an absolute baller. And he had two touchdowns in the game as well. The second one, he got lucky that it wasn't picked off because the defender fell over. But it was still a really impressive throw. He's leaning back. Threw it across his body to the right... Or not across, but he threw it back to where... The opposite direction where he's leaning through a touchdown. But the first touchdown pass he had was just beautiful. Like, there was nobody really on the left side of the field in regards to Florida players, and they're on the near side. They're on the far hash. No one's on the near side of the field apart from one receiver. And there's two Texas A&M defenders kind of in that area. You have a safety over top along with the corner. And he throws the ball on a fade route 
perfectly, and I say perfectly, perfectly to his receiver. I can't remember who the receiver was, but he placed it to the far pylon, the pylon, the front pylon in the end zone, placed it to his outside shoulder, and you have the two A&M defenders crashing in on it. They can't make a single play on that. Great catch. I just want to say great catch as well, but a great throw. And Richardson throughout the game, like just how effortless he throws the ball. I say this almost every single week because it's just how effortless. You can see it on this, like one of the first throws of the game, Ricky Pearsall. He throws it so freaking hard, and it just looks like he's flicking his wrist. It's the I said this a few weeks ago. It's the closest thing to Josh Allen that we have in college football is Anthony Richardson. In regards to natural God-given ability and rawness, that's what Anthony Richardson is. And if he goes to a team that has a good foundation in place, dude's going to be an absolute baller at the next level. Number five, we have Hinton Hooker. It just wasn't his week this week. Not a great game. I mean, it's against the number one team in the nation in Georgia. Or number three, Tennessee was the number one team in the nation. Number three team in the nation in Georgia. Um, I think everybody, including myself, got excited about Tennessee actually being good and Hennon Hooker putting forth the Heisman campaign. Like, this was a game that, in reality, we shouldn't have really been surprised about. And it's not like they got blown out in the score, but they just got beat down on the field. Like, Hooker did not – he had less than 200 yards passing. He had an interception, only a second interception on the season, which was a great play by Kelly Ringo down the near sideline. Like, it – Kelly Ringo essentially ran the route. I think Cedric Tillman was receiver in the area. He was basically playing defender, but Ringo just ran the route better and picked it off. It was just not – not his day. Not his day. And I shouldn't be surprised because Georgia and Georgia's defense is always very good. And people – I was just sleeping on Georgia because – they almost lost to Missouri. They struggled against Kent State. Why would they? But Tennessee was playing really well. They beat Alabama. They did all this. But, uh, yeah, Georgia still uh, still top dogs. They changed my mind pretty quick. Number six, Jaron Hall didn't play his best game against Boise in regards to passing through two interceptions in the game. Now puts him at five interceptions on the season, but at three touchdowns. Had also 82 yards rushing, and I'm liking this from Jaron Hall recently because Jaron Hall has been running the ball a lot more than what he has. You look at last week. Jaron Hall ran the ball over when he played East Carolina. He played re- he ran the ball really well. This week, he had 82 yards rushing and a touchdown. Against Boise State, he had four total touchdowns in this game. Three passing, one rushing. Two interceptions, though. It's not great. But 377 yards on the road. Big. I don't remember what the line was. I picked Boise just out of spite because BYU can't hold leads to save their life. They start early. Start off good early. Suck the rest of the game. Brutal. But they, did this, they played well this game, 131-28. Good win. Number seven. This one might surprise some people, and he might move down just based on how I'm feeling. But Bo Nix. Bo Nix is a weird one because this dude kind of sucked at Auburn. Kind of sucked. And when you look at what's going on at Auburn now, it's kind of clear to see why Brian Harson just never really had a grip on anything at Auburn. It just, from what everything has been coming out recently, yeah. And, I, and Bo Nix, though he sucked in those first three seasons at Auburn, I'm willing to hold out hope for the NFL future because I, you look at like, I was going to, so I saw tweets earlier today. It was uh, James Gibbons said, what idiotic NFL team is going to draft Bo Nix after completely ignoring his previous four seasons? Well, first off, it's three because he was only at three seasons at Auburn. And um, yeah, so if you want to include his four seasons, this one's pretty good. But I, I'm starting to get past that mindset of, Look at his past. Oh, he sucked here. If he's balling out, give the dude his flowers. Like, Bo Nix is playing awesome. He's got 30 
five, no, 36. He had a receiving touchdown this week. He had the hat trick for touchdowns, passing, rushing, receiving. He had a Christian McCaffrey game. 36 touchdowns this season. 36. 13 rushing touchdowns, 22 passing touchdowns, one receiving touchdown. He's already blown away his previous passing touchdown career high. He's about to pass his passing yards career high. He's about to pass his completion career high. He's 17 behind his career high completions for a season. And he's got um, 104 less pass attempts to this point. Like, Bo Nix is playing well right now. He's five yards away from 500 yards. Like, or 500 yards. 2,500 yards, sorry. He's got 457 yards rushing. He's got career high in rushing yards as well. He's averaging 6.6 yards a carry. So, like, when people say, why would you draft him when you're only looking at your, why would you only, why would you ignore his last four seasons? I'm just going to read these out. And you might call them anomalies. I don't care. But this guy, redshirt his first year. I'm not going to say their names. I'm not ever going to say their names. I'm going to say what the position they got drafted. I'm just going to say their names. And if you would draft them at all. Okay. First guy redshirted. Freshman year, played five games his sophomore year. In those five games, he went 22 for 28, 226, two touchdowns. Had a rushing touchdown as well. 2017, or not 2017, his, uh, it's his junior year. I don't know why I just blurted out a year. There's no year involved in this. His junior year, played five games again. Seven for 11, 61 yards, no touchdowns, rushing or passing. Nothing. 2018. I don't know why I keep saying years. There's no years involved here. I don't know why I keep doing that. He played 13 games, career high in games, obviously. Uh, completed 57% of his passes. Had just under 2,900 yards passing. 16 touchdowns, 5 picks. But did have 399 yards rushing and 7 touchdowns. So at this point, would you draft this guy in a top round? Let alone draft him at all. Would you draft him in the first round? And then his last year. Uh, 15 games, 76% completion percentage, 5,600 yards passing, 60 touchdowns to only six interceptions with a 202 quarterback passer rating, passer rating with 368 yards rushing and five touchdowns. Would you take that quarterback? Would you take him? I don't know if I would take him. And then quarterback number two, first year, played four games, started one of them, went 1-0 and in his starts, so fair play. 509 yards passing, 59% completion percentage, one touchdown, one pick. He did go 1-0 in the, that one start, though. I guess I don't know. I'm 100% sure if that interception came in his one start or the other games. So I don't know. Next year, sophomore year, started four games. Started four, uh, four games. 14 games. Big jump up. Went 7-7. Seven, seven, had 1,900 yards, just under 2,000 yards passing. 12 touchdowns, 6 picks. 3 rushing touchdowns. Junior year, 12 games started. 3,000 yards, so his numbers kept going up. 13 touchdowns, 9 picks with 2 rushing touchdowns. His senior year started only 9 games. And uh, 2,400 yards passing, 61% completion percentage, 13 touchdowns, 9 picks, same touchdowns, interceptions last season with 8 rushing touchdowns. And then his redshirt senior year started 13 games, had 4,300 yards, 42 touchdowns, just 7 picks with 5 rushing touchdowns with a career high 233 yards rushing. Would you take that guy? Like these are like I could cherry pick and do like let's just do this guy. Let's just say this guy for a little bit. Cause so this guy 
First year, 59% completion percentage, 686 yards passing, five touchdowns, seven picks. One rushing touchdown. His next year he played, 359 yards passing, three touchdowns, no picks. And then uh, his last year, 4,300 yards, 42 touchdowns, seven picks. Uh, set a conference record for passer rating with 1,000 yards rushing with 12 touchdowns. Would you take that guy? Because he only had one good year, so why would you? Why would you want to take him? Why would you? Why would you take him? He only had one good year of football. And then uh, this next guy, first year, twenty-seven hundred yards, twenty-three touchdowns, nine picks. It's good numbers. Good numbers. Good rushing the ball as well. Had similar numbers this year at that point as Bo Nix does right now, and he played fifteen games. Next year, two thousand yards, seventeen touchdowns. Eight rushing touchdowns. So the passing numbers and rushing numbers went down. 700 less passing yards that year. Next year, didn't start a single game, but had 765 pass yards, eight touchdowns, two picks, with also two rushing touchdowns. And then his last year, 69% completion percentage, damn near 70, 3,800 passing yards, 32 touchdowns, with 20 rushing touchdowns, with 1,200 rushing yards. He was only good for one year, really. I mean, he was fine. The other years, I mean, if you just, cher- I mean, you could cherry pick stuff like this all the time. I'm not sitting here going, oh yeah, this is a, a not, this is a guaranteed no flaw involved uh, way to identify if a quarterback's going to be good or not. But I just, I'm just saying, do not look at it and go, he sucked his previous years. He is no way he's going to be good now. Don't look at it like that. Because Bo Nix is playing very, very well right now. And Oregon's playing very, very well. Apart from their opening loss to Georgia, they're playing very well. They're playing very, very well. 36 total touchdowns this year. 36. Next one, we got Cam Ward. Two touchdowns, no interceptions. No turnovers. Had a rushing touchdown as well against Stanford. 52-14 to 14 win. Still mentioned on there. Only completed 50% of his pass, which is not great. But played well. Did play well. Then Cam- Tanner McKee is still in here just for I'm holding out hope. His numbers sucked in the game against uh, Washington State. But uh, I'm holding out hope still. I think traits-wise, he's got all the traits you're looking for. I think arm talent is up there. I think he's got one of the best arms in the draft. He can't move, but he's big. So I think there's some traits there you could look at there. And the number 10, we got Jane Daniels. Dude balled out against Alabama. Balled out. He's got 619 rushing yards, 10 touchdowns rushing, 14 touchdowns passing with just under 2,000 yards passing with only one interception. Threw two touchdowns, ran for one against Alabama with the game ceiling essentially, well, not the game ceiling because he had to throw the, the two-point conversion there as well. But just a great game from Jane Daniels. He was in the rankings last year, so this isn't like he's come out of freaking nowhere. But uh, I can I couldn't keep Tyler Van Dyke in there. I couldn't keep Tyler Van Dyke in there anymore. He, he was just too front. I couldn't like, okay, I'm holding out too much. He's not playing. So I got I just got to drop him out. Uh, then we got Max Duggan in there, Michael Penix, Will Rogers, DTR, and then uh, Tyler Van Dyke. Uh, KJ Jefferson was the one I forgot about, I guess. So we might put him back on the, the other list. But there's your top 10 for this week. I hope you like it. I hope you like it. If you don't like it, I sincerely apologize. But make sure you go and check out the blog page on uh, the LoganBlackmanShow.com. You can search that in your search bar. Go to the blog section read out all their blogs that we've had. I would greatly, greatly appreciate it. And before we close out today's show, I want to read out some NFL scores. we got bowl games to think about. we got the Falcons-Panthers tonight. You guys will know what happened there. Falcons are a two-and-a-half-point favorite. I don't know if Baker's starting again or if P.J. Walker's starting. I don't know what's going on there. But, uh, yeah, Falcons-Panthers. 
awesome game. And then we got the Vikings-Bills, which seems like Josh can play. I'm still in the camp that says Josh shouldn't play. I can live with the idea of Josh Allen not playing against the Vikings if that keeps him healthy, keeps his long-term health in check. It's against the Vikings. It's not a division rival. It's not an AFC game. This is some random-ass NFC team. That's fine. I can stomach that to a certain extent. If they lose and Josh plays, he gets hurt. I don't want that. Or if they win and Josh gets hurt, that's an L to me. Like, I would rather him just sit out and try to get ready for the rest of the season. Focus on the AFC game, sit him out for an NFC game, and then play him against the AFC teams. Then we've got uh, the Seahawks and Buccaneers. That's the, the Germany game. Seahawks and Bucks. Six and three Seahawks. Four and five Bucks. Yeah, that's what everybody thought. Lions and Bears. Should be a fun one. Then we got Broncos, Titans, Jags, Chiefs, Browns, Dolphins, Texans, Giants, Saints, Steelers. And then we've got uh, the Colts and Raiders. Then we've got the Cowboys, Packers, Cardinals, Rams. Sunday Night Football is the Chargers, Niners. And then we've got the Washington Commanders taking on the Eagles this week. And in this week's edition of Bowl Game, Name Game, or NFL Name Game, we've got the Falcons, Panthers. What's Falcons, Panthers' name going to be? Let's think of one. What could be fun with the Panthers? This is how you do a, properly do an all-black uniform game <laughs> with, the, with the Panthers. I think the Panthers all-blacks are better than the Falcons one. Falcons one, I'm still pissed off. Their, their, um, if they did the Dirty Bird uniforms, I'd be perfectly fine with it. But the Falcons, the fact they did those ugly-ass new you know, I don't like their uniforms. I don't like the Falcons uniforms. Then we got the Seahawks and Bucks. This might be culturally insensitive, but uh, this is what we thought. But, oh, God, that was brutal. That, I'm trying to do a German accent. Accent Like the Seahawks being 6-3, and three, Bucks being 5-4. and four. That's what everybody thought would happen. That's what everybody thought would happen. Or the reverse, the Uno reverse bowl. Because they probably thought these records would be flipped at this point. Bills, Vikings, the let's think about Josh Allen's long-term career health game or the Case Keenum-Stephon Diggs revenge game. Either one of those works. Then we've got the Lions and Bears. Lions, Tigers, and Bears Bowl. Oh, my. Then we've got the Broncos and Titans. The who's got the most unwatchable offense in the NFL Bowl between the Titans and Broncos. Jaguars, Chiefs. Ugh. Um, the this doesn't sound fun to watch at all Bowl. I don't know. Uh, the Browns and Dolphins. The we wanted Deshaun Watson Bowl. The who wants Deshaun Moore Bowl. Is in this game. Then we got the Texans and Giants. The Brian Dable Bowl, because Brian Dable's ruined rumored to go to the Houston Texans because he had worked with the Texans' new GM. Then we got the Saints and Steelers. The Kenny Pickett Bowl, because Kenny Pickett was rumored to go to the Saints at one point. Then we got the Colts and Raiders. The Raiders kind of suck right now, Bowl, because that's what Jeff Saturday tweeted before uh, he took the Colts job and conveniently playing this, the Raiders this weekend. Cowboys and Packers. Who is the tight end? The Richard Rodgers catch bowl? Because it was in Dallas. Ah, it's in Green Bay now. The Des Bryant caught it bowl. That's what we, uh, that's the game we got going on here. Cardinals, Rams. The can we please end Cliff Kingsbury's term as a head coach in the NFL game. If the Rams blow those shit out of the Cardinals, that could do it. That could finally do it. And then we've got uh, the Chargers and Niners. The battle for the... Th uh, no, the Niners are fairly popular. Um, I was going to say the battle for the third place, third most popular team in, San in California game. But um, 
the battle for the third most popular team in Los Angeles game. Because you obviously got the Raiders were the number one, even though they play in Vegas. The Rams are probably up there. So this is, the 49ers, just being from California, even though they're no-cal versus SoCal team. Man, I think it's a battle here. I think it's a battle for who's the third most popular team in SoCal. So that's what our bowl games are this weekend. I'm not even going to go over those again because I can't remember half of them because they were too long. Oh, the Commanders and Eagles. The Oh, boy, this should be fun, bowl. <laughs> this game going to suck. The Eagles are an 11-point favorite. The Bills went from a 9.5-point favorite last time we talked, like two weeks ago, we talked about this, to a 3.5 because of the potential of Case Keenum starting. So I, I, I just want to focus on Josh Allen's long-term health. If the Bills lose to the Vikings this week and Josh doesn't play, that's fine. I'm cool with that. I'm absolutely cool with that. So that's all I've got for you today on this, what is it, Friday edition of the Logan Blackman Show. Do I have anything else that I really want to talk about? Oh, the Buffalo, I saw this last night. Uh, Buffalo Hard. It's their their abbreviation. So H-A-R-D. It's an acronym. So H, stands for hard. <laughs> A stands for adversity. R stands for respond. D stands for dominate. Hard. Hard adversity. Respond. Dominate. Yeah, that's a that's a good one. We should we should keep that one. We should definitely keep that one. So yeah, that's all I've got for you today. I hope you enjoyed the show. If you did not enjoy, I sincerely apologize, which I'll be better next time. We'll be here on Monday. We will see. I've got some plans on Monday, so or on Sunday, so I'm not 100% sure if we'll get something recorded in time. But if you hear my beautiful voice again, that would be great. But uh, Monday, I don't know if we will or not because the weekend's kind of packed up right now. So we'll see how that one goes. But if not, we'll see you on Wednesday. If we see you on Monday, perfect. But we don't, sorry. So that's all I've got. Make sure you leave a rating on five stars on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Leave a description down below on why you feel that way regardless if it's good or bad. But most importantly, make sure you are following and subscribed to the Logan Blackman Show on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And that's all I've got. I will see you all later. Peace.